0: So a couple of months ago, I was struggling with a big writing problem. I had no idea how to structure a series that I was trying to outline. Now to give a bit of a a quick backstory for this, my very first book, The Aeon Academy, I had originally designed as a series and it felt very natural how each story would take place because this book was set at a school and each story, each book would be one year at the school. But this other project I was working on, the series just wasn't quite coming to me, it wasn't Evolving in a way that felt natural But then A few weeks back I had an epiphany And I want to share with you this epiphany in today's episode Because it helped me a lot And it helped me figure out a way to outline this series In a way that I think is going to produce a really great story And hopefully it will help you as well If you have the ambition of writing Multiple books set in the same world With recurring characters So let's get into today's episode Hello and welcome to the Novel Endless podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Fires of the Dead, and every episode it is my job to analyze a story to help you become a better writer. Today's episode is titled, Skullduggery Pleasant by Derek Landy. How to write a series. And in rare fashion for this podcast, there will be no spoilers on this episode. All I'm going to be doing is describing uh, basic details about each book in this series, But that information is totally available on Blurb. So there will be no spoilers for Skulldory Pleasant. So if you aren't familiar with the series, you'll still learn a lot. If you are familiar with it, but you don't want some parts of it spoiled, you won't get it spoiled. So before we get into the episode, quick personal update. I was recently interviewed on A Writer's Explorations by Yasa Moon. Thank you very much for that, Yasa. Um, It was a really great, concise interview. So link to that in the show notes. Um, So if you want to hear me talk a bit about... My writing process about the journey of putting out my very first fantasy book into the world, which was Fires of the Dead. You can check out that podcast. I also had the privilege of being uh, coming out to a school recently. Um, well, not a school, a uh, tutoring group of school students, but it felt a very school ish environment. Um, thanks to my friend Melvin, who runs a tutoring group. And I had a really nice chat to all of them about writing. Um, I'll post a link to that video in the show notes and at the end of this episode you will hear a little snippet of that as well because there were some really great writing related questions that came uh, in that talk and I think you will find that really useful. So today's episode is all about writing a series. How can we create books that build upon each other in meaningful ways without feeling overly repetitive or boring, but instead being fresh and interesting and, getting to the stage where your readers are actually, you know, demanding for you to bring out the next book. That I think is the big strength of Skuldorri Pleasant, which is a uh, middle grade and then young adult fantasy series about a stylish skeleton detective who is 400 years old and his partner Valkyrie Kane. And they are both magicians set in this kind of parallel world where there's all these other magicians, lots of monsters and people up to no good. and. In each book they essentially try to solve mysteries, save the world, and kick some butt. So I really love this series. It's up to 12 books right now, more are planned, and what I think is remarkable about it is the way that Derek Landy has structured this series. And each book, as I mentioned before, it feels fresh, it feels original, it feels unique, it doesn't feel like they are treading the same ground, but instead that they are building upon the foundations of what comes before. So I wanted to understand how this happened. How could Derek Landy create a meaningful series? Like I mentioned briefly in the introduction, my own personal experience and personal struggle with this started with a current project that I'm outlining. And just to back up a bit, most of my ideas come to me as a single book. I'm very much a like standalone kind of guy. I like to write stories that feel very you know satisfying and um, contained within one installment so you know the first book I wrote I designed it as the first book in a series it never went on to actually uh, have me write those other books because the first book was pretty bad but my next three books um, across the broken stars masks of steel and fires of the dead were all standalones all of these were standalones Um, of course fires of the dead which is the one that I've just published has the potential of you know me writing more stories in that world and I certainly plan on doing it. There's been a lot of people who've asked me if there's gonna be more books coming, which is really humbling. But in the last few months, I've had an idea, and this idea feels like it's only gonna work in a series. But like I mentioned before, I was struggling with it. I couldn't think of a, I suppose, natural way to break up the story into instalments. I I thought that that would hurt the book. And I was struggling with how to develop Interesting sequels that built upon the previous books in ways that improved the series rather than, you know, made it worse (laughs) But then I had an epiphany uh, and this revolutionized how I think about series So it came um, on a lessons from the screenplay video, which is a YouTube channel that does really great video essays breaking down um, You know popular movies uh, classics all sorts of things in many ways lessons from the screenplay was a big inspiration for what you are hearing right now. It was a big inspiration for this podcast. Uh, and I will link to this video in the show notes, but essentially it was about Terminator 2 and Aliens, which was the sequel to Alien. And in this video, Michael describes how there is a kind of formula you can consider when it comes to writing a series. So I'm gonna give you the formula and then we're gonna see and test it in action. applying it to the Skulldory Pleasant series by Derek Landy, Um, and like I mentioned you know there will be no spoilery information um, just gonna be recounting essentially each book's blurb so in the lessons from the screenplay video Michael Tucker describes how great sequels have the same premise applied to a different designing principle in each book all right so let's back up what the heck does that word salad mean so premise is defined in The Anatomy of Story by John Truby and John Truby defines the premise as, quote Your entire story condensed to a single sentence That premise will suggest the essence of the story End quote So, for example, the premise of Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton is the two greatest heavyweights of evolution, dinosaurs and humans, fight to the death in the same ring exciting stuff. So I guess you can kind of consider premise as what happens in the story. The designing principle is a little bit more complicated. So John Truby defines this as what organizes the story as a whole. I'm quoting this, sorry, I should back up quote, what organizes the story as a whole. It is the internal logic of the story. What makes the parts hang together organically so that the story becomes greater than the sum of its parts. It is what makes the story original. The designing principle then is the unique method that you as the writer, you as the writer are going to be using to explore your premise. So for example, in The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, it is a coming of age fantasy story. That is the premise. It's designing principle is that the story is recounted by the main character over the course of three days as he is describing his past life. And you, as the reader, are left wondering, how can this somewhat run-down innkeeper have been this heroic, almost mythical figure in the past? That doesn't seem right. And this designing principle makes it unique, even though the premise of the story is fairly familiar to a lot of us fantasy fans. So, you can consider the premise as what your story is. Is about and the designing principle as how you're telling the story another good way that John Truby describes it is that you can view it as the designing principle equals the story process plus original execution sorry I misread my notes <laughs> the designing principle is the story premise plus original execution because ultimately you know all stories are kind of the same on a fundamental level it's just the way that we execute them that makes them unique. So, the designing principle, then, is the unique method that you as the writer, you as the writer, are going to be using to explore your premise. So, for example, in The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, it is a coming-of-age fantasy story. That is the premise. Its designing principle is that the story is recounted by the main character over the course of three days as he is describing his past life. And you as the reader are left wondering, how can this somewhat run-down innkeeper have been this heroic, almost mythical figure in the past? That doesn't seem right. And this designing principle makes it unique, even though the premise of the story is fairly familiar to a lot of us fantasy fans. So, you can consider the premise as what your story is about and the designing principle as how you're telling the story another good way that John Truby describes it is that you can view it as the designing principle equals the story process plus original execution sorry I misread my notes <laughs> the designing principle is the story premise plus original execution because ultimately you know all stories are kind of the same on a fundamental level it's just the way that we execute them That makes them unique how does this help us write a great series so there's a few things you've got to consider with a series the first is that you really want to avoid each book just being a remake of the first and that's because a remake is a repeat and you don't want to serve readers the exact same dish however you don't want it to be too different from the first So, if we can extend this food analogy, if you are designing a three-course meal at a Japanese restaurant and the entree is Japanese and the main course is Japanese, you probably should avoid serving Mexican for the dessert. That's because it goes against expectations. It's just not what people went in there wanting. So, we need to strike a balance. A balance between being too familiar or being too new. Instead of repeating our story, we want to develop it. We want to develop our story. And now this is where having the same premise combined with a different designing principle is so useful. So in Scarlet Ugri Pleasant, the premise of each book is pretty similar. It's about a young girl with magical powers who partners with a witty skeleton detective to save the world from evil sorcerers and monsters. Does this actually check out, Jed? That's probably what you're asking right now. Well, let's look at the first book. So, the first book is about Valkyrie and skulldoggery who must work together to solve Valkyrie's uncle's murder and prevent this other sorcerer from obtaining this powerful mystical weapon that can slay gods. So, Valkyrie being the young girl, Skullduggery being the witty skeleton detective. Okay, that seems to fit with that premise of a young girl with magical powers, partners with a witty skeleton detective to save the world from evil sorcerers and monsters great what about the second book well the second book is all about the two uh partners Valkyrie and Skalduggery having to stop Baron Vengeance from using this kind of zombie corpse of an evil god from bringing back the rest of this race of evil faceless ones who are kind of like Cthulhu entities that also seems to check out third book so this is all about how, how a number of teleporters are mysteriously murdered and Valkyrie and Skullduggery have to find out how this is linked to this cult who worship these dark gods known as the Faceless Ones who are attempting to open a portal with the goal of returning to the world. So what you can see there is that the premise is very similar in each of those books. Now, it's important to mention that the series continues to evolve and that each book feels incredibly fresh to me. But at a fundamental level, you sort of know what to expect going into each book, even if there are, you know, great twists. And as we have just explored, on a macro abstract level, each book has pretty much the same premise. But does that make it repetitive? No, no, not at all. Because even though the premise is usually the same, And remember, the premise is the broad macro description of what the book is about. In each Skulldorgy Pleasant book, the designing principle changes. And don't just take my word for it. We can see this really clearly in a 2010 blog post that Derek Landy wrote, uh, which I've linked to in the show notes if you want to check my working. And for context, he wrote this before the publication of the sixth book, which is called Deathbringer, which I have also done a podcast on. And in this quote, we can see how Derek Landy has intentionally varied the designing principle in each book. So here's the quote, quote. The first book was an adventure through and through. Young girl snatched away from her ordinary life into a world of sorcerers and vampires and ancient gods. Yep, that's an adventure. Playing with Fire was a monster movie of a book. You had the grotesquerie being reanimated you had the torment turning into that huge spider, you had a fight between the two, and lots of running and screaming. Yep. Monster movie. The third book, of course. That was the whodunit. That was the murder mystery. Aside from everything else going on, there was a killer stalking teleporters, and a, possibly, surprise twist at the end. Definitely a whodunit. Naturally, Dark Days was a revenge flick. That's pretty obvious. Mortal Coil was my Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a fantastic movie that I loved when I was a teenager. It's also my version of The Thing, possibly the best horror movie of all time. But what I've been wondering is the next book going to be? End quote. And then a little bit further down in the blog post, quote, the darkest superhero story you're ever going to read, with a bucket load of horror. And by the darkest superhero story you're ever going to read, he is referring to Deathbringer, the sixth Skullduggery Pleasant book, which, happily enough, I analysed in episode 27 of this podcast. So there's a link to that in the show notes as well. So what can we learn from this quote? We can see very clearly that while each book has a very similar premise of, you know, the young girl teaming up with the skeleton detective to use magic to save the world, the designing principle is changing each time. We go from adventure, to monster surviving, to a it to a revenge story, and so on. And I really love this approach, because it lets you take these really compelling characters and explore how they react in different situations. You are creating variations on a theme. And importantly, the stakes are really intensifying with every sequel, which is massive, because, remember. This is an activity in developing a story through sequels. It's a vertical motion, this idea of developing something. If you didn't intensify the stakes and you didn't really develop the characters through doing so, you'd be creating what I call a horizontal story where you're kind of not necessarily going deep, but you're going wide. So that's totally fine. And it really lends itself well to things like say the Jack Reacher books Um, Because these are thrillers that have the same main character, but they all stand alone, so you can read them in any order. Which, you know, has a lot of great merits from a marketing perspective and also a reader experience perspective. For something like this, like the Jack Reacher books, you're wanting a different designing principle for each to keep them fresh for returning readers. But you're not necessarily looking to build upon what's come before. Because you want to be accessible you want readers to feel like they can jump in at any point, which is great, you know, that's what the story's about. I'm not saying this is bad or anything. Bringing it back to Skullduggery Pleasant, which, as I argued before, is different. It's a vertically developing story that builds upon each previous installment. We see something else happening as the series progresses because this idea of having a premise that's the same and a designing principle that's a bit different, it kind of is a bit plot focused to me. And plots are important, but stories aren't just about the plot. They're also about, can you guess it? Character. What we see is that in each new Skaldorri Pleasant book, the protagonist returns with a very similar desire, but a different specific need. So by desire, I'm referring to the external goal such as Valkyrie's desire to defeat the bad guy or gal and stop the world from being destroyed. That's an external goal. That's Valkyrie's desire. Her need is a little bit more wishy-washy, a little bit more emotional and subjective. And the way you can define the need is as the internal weakness that the character wants fulfilled. So this is more of an internal intrinsic goal, whereas the desire is an external goal. So, the desire of wanting to defeat the antagonist is pretty much the same in Book 1 as it is in Book 12. However, Valkyrie as our protagonist, her internal need evolves. In the first couple of books, she has a need for adventure and an exciting life behind her boring everyday life as a normal 12-year-old girl. This changes. In later books with a romantic subplot, she has a need for connection and perhaps validation from her love interests. And later still, particularly in the phase two books, books 10, 11, 12, and there will be more coming on, she has a need for redemption for what she has done in earlier installments in series. So by evolving the designing principle and the character's internal need, you have the potential to create an endless array an endless array of fresh sequels endless variations on a theme and if you're wondering how you can do this on a practical level I want to give you a couple of different tools for considering the designing principle the first way you can consider it is as a genre so maybe the first book is your romance book maybe the second book is your action book maybe the third book is your mystery book it's kind of how Derek Landy described it in that quote before another way you can consider varying the designing principle is is by exploring a different aspect of the MICE quotient. So the MICE quotient comes from Orson Scott Card and MICE stands for M being milieu. So milieu stories explore a setting. So they're very interested in world building and society. The I stands for idea. So these are stories that in the fashion of a lot of great sci-fi explore this kind of big idea about the nature of reality, about, society, about how people should behave. The C part of MICE stands for character. So these are your character pieces and the E part stands for event. So these are your more plot driven novels. Another way that you can consider the designing principle and the third way in this kind of rapid fire um, description I'm giving you is by varying the story archetype. So the story archetype is kind of the foundational structure of how you are describing your story. So pulling from Save the Cat goes to the movies, The Screenwriter's Guide to Every Story Ever Told by Blake Snyder, he kind of describes how there are 10 different types of story archetypes and I don't necessarily agree with everything in Save the Cat, but I think it is incredibly useful just to give you these broad strokes that maybe might help you i realize what kind of story you're writing and then go away and research, you know the masterworks in that genre and maybe get some ideas which is what on a side note happened to me with the story that I mentioned in the introduction I my second big epiphany for it um, was that I realized what kind of archetype it was that I was exploring and then I went away and analyzed some things with that archetype but I digress so Blake Snyder describes how there's ten different archetypes of story the first is the monster in the house so this is where you have typically A confined space, um, a a quote unquote sin being committed and then a monster being created as a result of the sin. And then it's this kind of run and hide thing. So Jaws is a great example of this. The second story archetype is the golden fleece. And this is drawing from Greek myth where the hero goes in search of something and then discovers something about herself. So heist movies often fall into this category. And a book example is Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters or Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, which I have analyzed before on this podcast. The third story archetype is called the out of the bottle story. So this is where something appears to grant a wish to a character, but eventually they realize the magic isn't necessarily that good for them, or someone needs to be taught a lesson. Pandora's box is the, you know, archetypal mythological example of this. Groundhog Day is the modern movie version of this. The character is kind of taught a lesson through this out-of-the-bottle Pandora's Box thing that happens. The fourth type is Dude with a Problem, which is where you have an ordinary person who must survive extraordinary circumstances, like Bruce Willis's character in Die Hard, where a cop is trapped in a skyscraper along with a bunch of terrorists and must- figure out how to defeat them. The fifth story archetype is Rites of Passage, which is where you have your coming-of-age stories like The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, The Catcher in the Rye, arguably Harry Potter would fit into here. The sixth type is Buddy Love, which is where you have, you know, your buddy cop movies, um, love stories as well. They're essentially the same kind of formula where you have, you know, these two characters who, at first, they hate each other, but Adventure makes it clear that they need each other. This led, leads to more conflict. You kind of have them, you know, breaking up and then they realize they need each other in the end. And an example of this in a book form would be The Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson. The, uh, what am I up to now? I think this is the seventh type of the 10 story archetypes. There's a lot, <laughs> bear with me. Is a whodunit. So this is where we generally have a, you know, on in-story surrogate who's representing us, who is the, you know, the reader character trying to be working out why something has happened. So the why done it isn't so much about the who committed the crime, but more about the why. Why did this thing happen? And the secrets that the detective seeks ultimately forces her to take a dark turn somewhere, perhaps breaking the rules, even you know their own kind of moral guidelines, in order to get to the bottom of the mystery. The eighth type of story archetype is the fool triumphant which is one that i'll admit that i don't really understand too much but blake snyder describes it as the underdog fool going up against a bigger and more established opponent perhaps dodgeball is a good example of this number nine is institutionalized which explores the ramifications of putting the group ahead of the individual so one's flew over one flew over the cuckoo's nest is a very good example of this and then the last of our 10 story archetypes from Save the Cat is the superhero archetype, which doesn't necessarily mean someone with superpowers, but it just means an extraordinary person in an ordinary world. And Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn is a great example of this. So, like I said, don't necessarily agree with everything in Save the Cat. I think at times it is a bit too formulaic, even for someone who loves story structure like me, but those are 10 different story archetypes that can be very useful for considering how to alter the designing principle in each book. And if you think about the Scarlet Already Pleasant series, you can probably start to realize how some of those different story archetypes are explored in the different sequels. So, you know, one might be a kind of out of the bottle story and then another one is a monster in the house one and so on. So to wrap this episode, I think That Derek Landy's ability to retain the same premise in Skullduggery Pleasant while exploring a unique designing principle each time is actually why Derek Landy had this urge to continue the series after he initially finished it um, with book nine. He had a, a bit of a break. He wrote the Demon Road trilogy, which I personally love and I don't really think it gets enough props. But then he must have realized that there were more designing principles and more internal needs for Valkyrie that the story... Kind of was urging for him to explore and with an expected three books still to come i'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes and what i want you to take away from this is that if you are considering writing a series this is how you do it you simply you know figure out what is the core premise or a word that is similar to the premise the core promise of your story and then have that in each book And then following on from that, consider how you can use different designing principles to keep things fresh. And then lastly, consider how you can, you know, be raising the stakes. So back to the struggles that I had with my series that I mentioned at the start, it is still, you know, very early days for this um, new uh, series of books, and I don't really want to share too many details, not because I'm scared of people stealing my ideas, but because I find that sometimes when I share my ideas too much, it kind of decreases my own motivation to write my stories because they're sort of already, you know, out there. But when I discovered this idea of using the same premise and varying it and keeping it fresh by using a different designing principle, oh, it was just incredible. <laughs> it really unlocked a lot of different ideas for the series. I immediately set to outlining multiple books in my series. And like I mentioned before, for each book I considered, Number one, how I could retain the same core premise. Number two, how I could use a different designing principle to keep things fresh. And then number three, how I could continually intensify and raise the stakes. Because it is a fantasy series after all. And as we all know, things generally only get bigger and more important to the characters as we progress through a fantasy epic, which is what my vision for it is. So again, still early days, but I was just so excited by this epiphany, uh, and I think it's produced a, a really solid outline that will hopefully produce some great stories that you can read in a couple of years, or hopefully even sooner. So with that, I want to wrap up another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stick around for the questions segment. So it is now questions time. As always, I love hearing your questions. You can email your questions to me directly at jed.hern1 at gmail.com. Link to that in the show notes. Or you can go to jedhern.com forward slash question. The link to that is also in the show notes. And you can use that to submit a voice message, which will give you a bit of a preference for appearing on this podcast, because after all, podcasts are about audio. So today's question comes from a big Q&A session I did um, for a primary school audience last week. Yes, it was last week. I don't know why that felt so long ago. Uh, And this question, uh, just to phrase it before it comes up, in case the audio is a little bit bad, the question was, how do you create good characters? So just to touch upon the question about characterization, how can we create good characters and also create characters that have substantial, like, and to them, I guess. So, characters that sound Great question. So, to create good characters, you have to kind of think about like what is interesting with like interesting people in real life. So, is someone massively interesting if when you ask them what is your favorite thing in the world, they just say, "Oh, like uh, I don't, I really don't." Know. Is that as interesting as a different person who you ask them and they say, oh, like, I really love rock climbing, you know, I'm in the rock climbing gym like 20 hours a week, I really like it, my hands are super chalky from all the climbing I do. Which one of those two people is more interesting to talk to? Rock climbing guy, exactly. So, I think about this, I just came from rock climbing, so, Jim you can the rock climbing, good times. Um, when your character has a strong goal or strong motivations, that's how you get a strong character. Because if your character doesn't really want anything, then it's going to be hard for you to follow her around in the story and to actually get them to do stuff. So. so, probably the number one thing for a really compelling character is a really strong goal. Um, whether that is a massive goal like, I want to save the world, whether that's a smaller goal like, oh, I want to make sure that my two year old has the best uh, second birthday on the planet. Whatever the goal is, if you make a really strong pro character and you commit yourself to just following and seeing what that character does, you're going to produce an interesting story. So with that, that wraps up another episode of the Novel Analyst podcast. Thank you so much for listening and now go and write extraordinary stories. I'll see you next time.